I'm just kind of talk a little bit about who I am before we kind of get started. Rob did a lot of that, so you might have a good idea of who I am now, but like he said, my, my wife and I, we were not married whenever we started attending Northwest, but we've been here for about a year and a half, and we have absolutely loved it. It has been an, a blessing to us, and so we are very glad that we are able to be a part of this body and to be in covenant with, with all of you guys. Um, so uh, I grew up in a small town in Tulsa, a little town called Sperry, about 20 minutes north of Tulsa. My dad and my mom um, actually went to Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary in San Francisco. That's where they met. That's where I was born. So my birth certificate says the city of San Francisco, which is pretty cool. Take that for what you will. Um, and then from there, moved to Oregon, lived there. Um, for about six or seven years, and that is where I became a Christian. That's where I repented of my sin, put my faith in Christ, and that is um, truly the moment that I believe that that is when I became a follower of Christ. My dad was a pastor growing up, so the one thing that I told myself I was never going to be was a pastor, and here we are um, doing this. And so um, it's been it's been a wild ride. So I started. Um, at OBU, that's where I attended, um, and I got my degree in psychology. Uh, kind of the basis behind that was I was wanting to be a therapist. That's kind of the, the way, after some prayer and some life experience, um, that's kind of where I felt the Lord was leading me to go. So I graduated um, in 2022 um, with my bachelor's, and I started my master's degree in marriage and family therapy, um, and did that for a couple years, and then... Um, Part of the degree plan to become a marriage and family therapist is to do a clinical internship and sit under a licensed counselor, get mentored and all that kind of stuff. And I had a little bit of trouble um, finding a clinical placement that fit for me. And so I prayed that God would kind of open up some doors, kind of give me some guidance on what he would want me to do. And it was not marriage and family therapy, come to find out. Um, and so now I am attending Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary online, um, pursuing a Master's of Divinity and preaching in pastoral ministry, just kind of giving my yes to God and letting him take care of everything else. And so lots of sanctification in my life. There's been a lot of things that I've done, um, but despite all those things, um, the Lord has redeemed me. He's brought me to this moment right here where I am able to stand and bring you the word of God this morning. So I'm super excited for it, and so we're going to hop right in. I know Genesis 11, you heard that, and you're like, whoa, like, this first time preaching, John 3.16, take the easy way, all that kind of stuff. Um, no, I, want to, I, I prayed specifically on what the Lord wanted me to do, and I felt that this was where he was, he was leading me. So um, it's, been a, it's been a fun, fun time this part of the year, right? We have Christmas. Um, today's New Year's Eve, right? We're going to hop into the new year tomorrow, 2024. And that's a pretty exciting time. And for a lot of people, this is a time where we talk about things like New Year's resolutions, right? Where people decide like, hey, I want to start going to the gym. I want to eat less. I want to read more books. Um, sometimes it's a little more spiritual, like, man, this is the year that I'm really going to start attending church, read my Bible, pray more. All these kinds of things are just kind of language and things that we hear when we're kind of thinking about the new year and what... It holds for us, right? We look back into the year that we've just lived, 
and we maybe think about some ways that we've fallen short or not lived up to our own expectation for ourselves, and then we want to kind of change and morph that so that going into the next year, we're able to do a little bit of a better job. And so in the spirit of looking to the new year, looking to what's coming up for not only us as a body, but individually for us as the people of God, I think it's important to ask the question, okay, so as Christians, as disciples of Christ, what are we called to do? What are we called to put our focus on as we're going into the new year? And I think it's pretty straightforward, right? Um, The book of Isaiah, chapter 45, tells us that, Turn to me to be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So, looking to the new year, looking into something new, the focus of ours as followers of Christ always needs to be on God. No matter what we do, no matter what season of life we're in, no matter what job we have, that is where our focus needs to be. And from that standpoint, we're able to kind of grow out all of these things, and for each individual, it's going to look different, but our basis always needs to be on the Lord. And so as we're walking into this new year, and while everyone is kind of asking these questions on what they would have themselves to do, what they want to do better, what they failed at last year, we, as the people of God, can look to God as the one who satisfies our lives, who gives us fulfillment, who gives us purpose, and then from there we can build out what that looks like in each of our lives. And so, the chaos that we find ourselves in doesn't always make sense, no matter what our life circumstances, sometimes it's hard, it's different, we might not know how to process it, but we do know that Christ reigns above it all, that he's in control, and that we can look to him for hope. And so, as we were walking into the beginning of the new year, I thought it was appropriate to look back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 11. And the Tower of Babel is where what we find in the first nine verses of this chapter. And it's a story that a lot of us are familiar with. I heard it from a very young age in Sunday school about how it's the origin of all the languages and people groups of the earth. And that's kind of really the extent of what I understood it to be at, at the very beginning of my, my walk. And I think that as I was kind of praying on what the Lord wanted me to speak at this time um, with you guys, I think that we can look to this story, and yes, it gives us the how God divided the world, how he made different people groups, gave different languages, all those kinds of things. But when we look deeply into this story, we can see it talks about the heart of God and his mission for his people. And we can use this story to kind of propel us, to reorient us into this next year. Um, Because you read the story and you think about, well, I don't know why God decided to, you know, confuse the languages of the earth. Why, Why would he take people who were unified and divide them even more, right? He's a God of unity. He... You know, he's loving all these things. What, what about this story shows us what we can do in 2024? How does it, how does it work? And so I think as we, as we walk through this and we look to see um, what the Lord has, has written here, we can see that his desire 
for humanity is to fill the earth, specifically his people, to make his name known through all the ends of the earth. Um, and so before we kind of dive in, this is, this, is, this is a story that tackles a lot of different things, and there's a lot of different directions that you can go with it. But ultimately what this boils down to is this is a story about man's pride, the human condition, man's disobedience, man's desire to be recognized, and yet despite all of those things, the will of God comes to pass. And that no matter what scheme man comes up with, no matter what plan Satan has devised in opposition to the will of God, God's will will come to pass. And so even though this is an old story that you have heard thousands of times, we can still look at it today and find meaning and find truth that we can take and apply to our lives, that God has confused the languages of the world, but he has not confused the message of redemption for the world, and that it is only found in Christ Jesus. So, with all of that being said, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, and my mouth is already dry, so I'm going to take a sip while you're turning there. And now, we can stand, if you would, in honor of reading the Word of God, because it absolutely is an honor. So, now all the earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about, as they journeyed east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and fire them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come. Let's build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of all the earth. Now the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they have started to do. And now nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down and confuse their language, so they will not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they stopped at building the city, and therefore it was named Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. You can be seated. And I'm going to pray before we start, so... Dear God, thank you for this time to gather and to hear your word. Thank you for the opportunity and the freedom that we have in this place to gather. God, I pray that we would pay attention to what you would have us hear today. God, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear your message. And God, that we would not check out. God, that we would be able to read what you have written and make some change in our lives. So. Thank you for who you've done. Thank you that you have not confused the message of the gospel and that it is only and solely found in Christ Jesus. So as we start this morning, I pray that you would be the center of it all. God, that we would not make ourselves the center. God, that you would be the one who ultimately gets the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And so chapter 11, there's, there's kind of a lot to, to process in, in these verses, right? But before we kind of hop into um, that, let's kind of recap what has happened in the first 10 chapters of Genesis, right? And so 
what you have in the first ten chapters of Genesis is kind of, is kind of a lot. There's a lot of, timeline-wise, there's a lot of history there. So you have, obviously, the creation of everything that we know to exist through the spoken word of God, right? That's, that's something that happens in the first ten chapters. We have murder, right? We have Cain murdering Abel out of jealousy and his sacrifice not being accepted by God. You have the Nephilim. I don't even know what that is, but it's there, it's there in chapter 7. It's confusing. It's weird. And you have Lamech. Lamech, the guy who kills a whole bunch of people, marries a whole lot of women. And now you have this story of the origin of language and the origin of different people groups all on page 14 of the Bible. So there's been a lot that has happened in these first, first chapters. And if you have read this narrative before, you, you know that in chapter 10, um, in verse 32, it says, These are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their descendants by their nations, and out of these nations they were separated on the earth after the flood. So in chapter 10, it appears that the nations have already been dispersed among the earth. But then we look to chapter 11, and it kind of appears that this is the story of how that happened, right? And so for some people, they would read that and say, oh, this is a contradiction, this is a fallacy, this is a misprint, all these kinds of things, and use it as evidence to conspire against the word of God. But what, what chapter 10 kind of portrays is that, oh, this is how the nations of the earth came, and it was just this natural thing that the people did out of obedience to God because they were so, so loving of God, they were not prideful. But then we looked at chapter 11, and it turns out that that's really not how, how it went, right? The, the origin of language was not something that the people did out of obedience to God, but it was the means through which God accomplished his will to go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So chapter 10 kind of serves as this preface to the Tower of Babel, because it lists, you know, Noah and his family— and all of his sons, and the people groups that came, and where they went geographically, all these kinds of things. And we look at chapter 11, and it appears that the people didn't just go and do this on their own. And which leads us to our point number one this morning, which is unity in sin will lead to destruction. And so in the first verses of chapter 11... I mean, it says, now all the earth used the same language and the same words, and it came about as they, they journeyed east, right? So in, ch in verse 1, there's one language, there's one people, and they're collectively moving throughout the earth, right? And so if you're reading this in just that one verse, it appears that these people are being obedient to what God has said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then you look a little bit further, as the verse continues, and it says, And then they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And so, if you read this in the Old Testament Hebrew Jewish context, the, the direction east is often associated with moving away from the will of God, from the presence of God, moving in complete and utter rebellion to what God has desired. And then if you look even further, the land of Shinar, what, what that kind of boils down to is that place ends up being a little place that we all know and love, 
called Babylon, which you don't have to be a biblical scholar to know that Babylon is not a place that you want to be associated with. And, and so what you have here is this double whammy of the people in unison moving east in the opposite way that you would want to go. And they settle in this place that will turn to be one of the most corrupt and immoral places that we've ever known as humans. Because east, if you remember, when Adam and Eve sinned and were cast out of the garden, there was an angel put on the east side of the garden because they were sent out that way. And so as they're going east, they're going away from the presence of God, away from the will of God, away from the plan of God. And then they choose to settle in this place that is that will turn out to be one of the most corrupt societies that we have ever known. But not only do they, they settle there, in, in verse 3 it says, Come, let us make, br- make bricks and fire them thoroughly. And so they used brick for stone, they used tar for mortar, and they said, Come, let us build, themselves, build ourselves a city and a tower whose tops will reach into heaven, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. And so they've stopped, and they've decided that this place, this plain in the land of Shinar, which we know as people who have all, all, all of Scripture knows will turn into Babylon, they've decided that this is where they want to kind of build up, right? They want to create a city. They want to create a great tower that is going to be so large. People will know who they are. But remember, in the beginning, when Adam and Eve were created, God gave them a command to be fruitful, multiply, and to fill the earth. And then after the flood, after God has saved Noah and his family, when they're off the ark, he gives this command again to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so these are the people who are the descendants of Noah and his family. And they've decided to stop moving to fill the earth. And they've decided to build their society up instead of moving it out. And so they've, they've, they've fallen victim to their own pride in the sense that they've decided they want to erect this giant tower to make a name for themselves. They want to build this great structure that when people walk by, they'll know these are the people who have settled in the plain of Shinar. And so, we can look at this and and think, oh, like, well, wouldn't it just be so easy to continue moving around, right? God's given this command, so obviously it's not that hard to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But this, this is not something that only these people in this specific time have fallen victim to, right? I mean, this is something that we see in a lot of churches and a lot of Christians today is they've decided that as the people of God, they would rather sit inside the four walls of a building instead of going out and preaching the gospel and sharing the light that we have been given with the ends of the earth. A lot of people are distracted with possessions, with big buildings, with big productions, with a gospel message that has been watered down to be accepted by society instead of staying faithful to the one who, who has saved them. And this is the same problem that the people of Shinar, who will eventually become Babylon, have fallen into. They've decided that they've wanted to erect this monument to themselves instead of 
being faithful and obedient to the one who saved them. And so when we, as the church, as this local body, as Northwest Baptist Church, come to a place where we decide that our building and our possessions and what, we've, what, we have, what God has given us becomes more important than, than sharing the name of Jesus, than, than pointing to him and giving him the glory, that is when we have fallen into the same trap that these people have. Christ must be the center of it all. And when we look at this first verse, we see that, or this first, first chapter, or this first, yeah, this first point, sorry, we see that the people have decided to make themselves the center of it all instead of God. And this is the, the same family, the same people that God did save from the flood, right? I mean, think of Noah and his family, how crazy it would have been to be on an ark for an extended period of time and then to get off the ark and realize that everything you ever knew, the people you knew, the places you know, all of it had been wiped out by the flood. And you, I mean, they probably told this great story of how God gave them instruction to build the ark and to be saved and the, the waters were so high and there were people floating who had, who had drowned and all these things, but God had chosen them to be saved. And then a couple generations later, they seemed to have forgotten what God had done for them. They decided to build this tower. I mean, it sounds a lot like Israel, right? I mean, Israel was in captivity in Egypt. God saved them, and they're not 20 feet out of Egypt, and they're already building a golden calf statue, right? I mean, this is something that we see people fall victim to all the time. So their pride has not only led them to want to make a name for themselves, but it has led them to complete and utter rebellion against the command of God. And in this sense, the pride has come before their fall, right? God has made us into his image, right? That's Imago Dei. We all, we all know this, this concept. And he has commanded us as his people, as disciples, as followers, to spread across the world, as the Great Commission commands us, right? To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But these people in Babel have attempted to seize autonomy from God in that commandment and have decided to build themselves up instead of making God's name known throughout the end of the earth. But unity, right? I mean, these people are united, right? They're one society, one people, one language. Like, this is not, they're unified. And one would think that God would not oppose unity, right? I mean, he's, he appears to not be that kind of person. But the difference between these people and the kind of unity that God seeks after is the kind of unity that God seeks after is when we are all unified under the throne of Christ, right? These people have unified in their sin. And so they've unified. They've decided to erect this tower to make a name for themselves. And what we see, continuing on in our story, is that it ultimately will lead to their destruction. And so, verse 5 says, Now the Lord came down to see the city and the tower in which men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have the same language, and this is what they have started to do. And now nothing which they plan to do will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other's speech. 
And so, what do we see? We see divine intervention from the Lord. He notices and acknowledges that in their sin, they are dangerous, right? And so he intervenes, which leads us to point number two, which is the Lord desires his people to fill the earth. And so we just looked in, in verse 5, right? The, God has acknowledged them in their sin. They've built their tower. They've built their city. And now he has come down to see it, which is some funny wordplay, right? They've erected this big tower. They've built this mighty structure that can be seen from hundreds of miles around. And God, who sits on his throne above, has to come down to see it. So this great great structure, this, this great thing that has apparently brought all of these people this pride, God could not see, so he comes down to see it. And so the wordplay here is, is really, really spectacular if we, if we pay attention to it, because they have tried their hardest to create something that rivals the glory of God, but it is so minuscule to him that he has to come down to see it. So the people sought a name for themselves, and they sought the recognition of man, instead of allowing God's glory to be manifested through their obedience. And so their prideful attempt becomes shameful in the eyes of God. Because they could have created something that gave glory to God, right? They could have created something in remembrance of how he delivered them, much like Israel did when they crossed the Jordan River. Remember, they stacked the stones to remember that, that God had saved them from Egypt and allowed them to cross this river. But they didn't. They created something in an attempt to bring honor and glory to themselves, right? And in Psalm chapter 2, verse 2, it says, The kings of the earth and the rulers band together against the Lord and against the anointed, saying, Let us break their chain and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. And... I can only imagine God's reaction to this tiny little structure in his eyes, right? So minuscule in his glory would probably be a laugh or a scoff because he had saved these people, and yet they're still disobedient. And so they're one people with one language, as verse 6 says, and now they have started to do this, and now nothing that they do will be impossible for them. What, is, what, is, what does this mean? Well, remember... They're united in their sin. They're united in their disobedience. And they as a, a society have built this structure to bring glory to themselves. And that's dangerous. Because unity and creativity, when used in the proper context, is, is tremendous, right? It's beautiful. But when it's under the umbrella and the influence of sin, that is when it becomes dangerous. Because God, in, his, in the word, says nothing will be impossible for them. Because if this, does, if this does not go unchecked, if they're allowed to continue in their disobedience, if they're allowed to continue in their sin, then it will just grow and it will manifest into new ways to sin. New ways to be immoral. New ways to grow against what God has commanded. New ways to satisfy the flesh. Which, if you pay attention to the world around you, is kind of what we are seeing today. We see people giving into desires, and we see people giving into new ways to sin, and new ways to satisfy the flesh, 
And an example that I thought of as a society who has been completely tainted by sin, Nazi Germany, right? They, they united in a hatred for specific groups of people in their pride of thinking that they were the master race, the, the people who were perfect. And what did it lead to? It led to a genocide of Jewish people. It led to a world war. It led to all these evils that we know to be so, so terrible. And where did that start? Through one man's pride, right? It was a country built on the genocide of people groups that they did not deem as acceptable. And so, as the people of God, right, we sit here in this place knowing that we are not the center of our existence, right? We have been given a purpose, we have been given a calling, and so that keeps us humble so that we do not turn into something like what Babel has turned into at this point, right? Because man will continue to grow in its sin all the way until Christ returns to make everything new under his lordship, right? So in verse 7, it says, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, and they will not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of the earth, and they stopped building the city. So God has now come down to intervene in what these people are doing. And he's decided to, to separate these people with different languages and has scattered them across the world. So if you remember back to one of the reasons why the people decided to build a city and to build a tower is that otherwise we will be scattered across the face of the earth. What they've tried to prevent from happening has happened anyway, right? What, what they have attempted to stop the will of God from coming to pass, God still had the final say and accomplished it despite their disobedience, right? So, and I don't know what this looked like. I don't know how it came to happen, but what I'd like to think happened is somebody was just in conversation with somebody. They were talking in whatever language they spoke. For example, just use English. And then at the snap, the blink of an eye, just could not understand one another. And what an experience that would have been, right? So as we look at this, we can see that God has confused the languages of the world. And in his all-knowing, all-powerful existence has decided that this was the means through which he was going to accomplish his original decree to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth, right? And just like God did not leave these people to just grow and manifest in their sin, God did not leave me to grow and to manifest in my sin, right? He sent Christ to live the life that I could not live, to die the death that I deserve, but then to resurrect three days later, defeating sin and defeating death, so that I could be free from what I did not even know was killing me. And so we can, we can see the gospel painted, painted in this perfectly, right? That there has been divine intervention on behalf of these people, but for me and you, there's been divine intervention on behalf of our souls, right? On behalf of what we deserve. God has come down in the form of a man and lived the life we should have, died the death we deserved, and resurrected three days later, which is a great, great message of redemption. 
that even though man in its entirety is an utter rebellion to God, Christ has come to break the chains of sin and free us, which is dumbfounding, right? And so in verse 9, as we're continuing through this, therefore it was named Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. And so the nations have been spread, they've been dispersed through their languages, so, so what now, right? What, what, is, what, is, what is happening now? And so this leads into our third point this morning, which is the Lord will redeem the nations of the earth, right? And so they've been spread and dispersed. For what? Well, only a couple chapters later, we meet a guy by the name of Abram, right? If you're familiar, that, that guy eventually turns into Abraham. And what, what's, what's the story with Abraham? Well, he's the person that, you know, God calls out of Ur to go and eventually becomes the father of, of the of Israel, what we know today. But what, is, what does God give him, right? What does God say that he's going to give him? He's going to give them descendants that outnumber the stars, right? He's going to get a name that will be remembered forever, right? We have the song, Father Abraham had many sons. We sing that. We don't sing a song about Babel having a great tower. That's just not something that happened. We didn't learn that in children's church, right? And so Abram ends up getting what the people of Babel had desired. But it came through obedience and patience. And he even didn't live to see what it would come to. But he ended up getting it not through selfish gain, but through obedience. Not only that, the Messiah would come through his seed, which would ultimately bring redemption to the nations. And so these people were so caught up in their sin that they felt like they needed to build a tower. And now those, those same people have been dispersed all over the earth and are in need of redemption, just like you and I were in need of redemption. Because the human condition, our fallen nature, is universal across all people groups, all ethnicities, all languages. And the need for a savior crosses all those boundaries as well. Christ has given us a divine command in the Great Commission to go and reach the nations, right? His desire is that his people would fill the earth, just like in the beginning God's command was that the, man, the men that he had created would also fill the earth. And the people in Babel also needed redemption, right? The people who have descended from the nations that have spread all over the earth are also in need of redemption. And so it is our job as the church, as the people of God, of the body of Christ, to go and to share the, the light that we've been given, to, to share the message of the gospel, to testify to the Lord's goodness, to how he saved us, and all these things. That is, that's our job. That's what God has commanded of us. And so... Is that all going to be in vain? Are we going to go and nobody's going to listen and people aren't going to repent and people aren't going to fall on their knees in front of the throne of Christ? No. In fact, 
Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 paints a picture of what the end will look like, where it says, John, in his vision, sees, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all the tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne room of God and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches. They cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So what God has divided as a result of their sin, he will bring together and unify under the blood of the Lamb, which is Christ. And this is, this is the end goal, right? This is, this is our mission. This is what our calling is, 24-7, 365. Our mission as the people of God is to go and to be obedient and to be humble and to obey the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and to accomplish his will so that his name will be glorified, not our own, right? The people of Babel attempted to make a name for themselves, and they did, but it's just not the name that they thought it would be. Right? It's a name of shame. It's a story that we tell to talk about what not to do. Right? It's a, a name associated with destruction and immorality. But God, through their disobedience, will make his name great through all the nations of the earth. For one day, all of us will sing that Jesus is king. And so, to kind of hit, hit this home, I want to I tell a story um, that even though the languages of the world have been confused the message of the gospel hasn't and so when i was introducing myself one of the things that i i didn't mention is that i am kiowa and muskogee creek and if you're not familiar with those those terms those are two uh, native american indigenous tribes of um this continent and one of the one of the really big pieces of my cultural identity is is my name and so my name is samuel anq that's that's my english name but my kiowa my, my, my Kiowa name is Kiabone. That was given to me by my grandfather when I was very young. And you're not given your name when you are born. You've lived a little bit of life, and then after that, um, your, your grandparent um, can name you with a Kiowa name. And growing up, I had always been told that Kiabone means I saw the light, and that's kind of what I, I rolled with for, for the longest time. And... It wasn't until I heard um, a pastor by the name of Mike Kiabone talk about the, his name, which is, my, which is my, his last name is my Kiowa name, and he has the origin of where that came from. And so a long time ago, whenever um, the Kiowa existed, um, used to live up north um, in Canada and like North Dakota, there was a, a chief of the Kiowa tribe, his name was Big Bo. And Big Bo was kind of the warrior that everybody looked up to. He was the strongest. He had been in the most battles, and he was the chief of the tribe. And so, very important figure. People looked up to him. Um, and so, one day, he decided that he was going to take a hunting party out and um, for food. And as they were hunting, as they were following the herd, the buffalo herd, they ran into some Spaniards. And at this point, we hadn't had any contact with, with the Spaniards, and so we didn't realize that they were wearing armor, and they got into an altercation and a fight, and Big Bo, as a result of the Spaniards having rifles, um, was shot and killed. And so when this happened, 
the warriors that were, that were with him kind of freaked out. And they didn't really know what to do because this was their strongest guy, Goliath, if you will. And he had just been killed like it was nothing. So they ran. And they ran back to the tribe and told them what had happened. Big Bo had been shot and killed. We don't know what to do. And so day one after his death passes and um, the, the tribe is mourning, right? They're, they're sad for the loss of their greatest warrior, their greatest hunter. Day two comes and they're still mourning and they're still trying to figure out what they're going to do. And then day three comes around and, and they're mourning and this is, this is the day that they've decided, okay, we need to pick a new leader. Who's going to lead us well? And then all of a sudden, Big Bo walks back into camp like nothing had happened. And in our tradition, um, you, you cannot become chief twice. With So to find a loophole in this, the Kiowa tribe decided that we were going to name him another name. And that, that way he could, he could lead again. And so his name, what they, what they came up with, was Kibodai. And what Kibodai means is stronger than death. And so they continued living life. Uh, however long later, the missionaries who were coming with the gospel came and were attempting to share the story of how Christ had died and risen back to life. And in our language, we, we don't have a word for resurrection, for dying the old way of life, being raised anew, kind of like we would talk about whenever we baptize somebody. And then one of the elders in our tribe said, that sounds a lot like the story of Big Bo. And they talked and eventually were able to come up with a new word in the Kiowa language, and that, that word is kiabon. And what that means is salvation, right? Dying the old way of life, being arisen to new. And so I don't know how that story came to exist in my people's tradition hundreds of years before Christianity ever came to the United States of America, but it did. And it did so that whenever the gospel came to my people, they were able to understand it through this cultural story that we had. And so God has confused the languages of the earth, right? I don't speak Spanish. I don't speak French. I don't speak any, any language other than English. And so communicating with somebody is, is hard if I don't speak their language. But the message of the gospel transcends all of that. The need for a savior and what Christ has done for us can be communicated in any language. And it is our job as the people of God to go from this place and share that. And so for some people, that does look like going overseas and spending time in another country. And for others, like, the nations have come to you, right? You are business owners, you are managers, you are whatever the context is. You are familiar and know people who are different than you and are also in need of redemption. And so why, why the Tower of Babel? Why, why did I, what did I think that the Lord was wanting me to say? Through this, through this story and through this time. That the message and the commandment of God has been the same since the beginning. To be fruitful 
and to multiply across the face of the earth. And that was continued when Jesus gave the Great Commission, Matthew, to go and make disciples of all nations. And that is still true for us today. And so as we walk into the new year, when people are thinking about how they're going to improve their lives, when they're going to make some changes, we as the people of God are going to look to God to find our meaning and to find our purpose as to what we are called to do in this next year. And so um, if the Lord has stirred something up in you, um, I'm going to pray here in a minute and we're going to have a time of invitation and our pastors will be down front to talk and pray with you. Um, but I'm going to pray and then um, we will sing. So God, we humbly come before your throne this morning in awe and in wonder of who you are and, and what you've done for us. God, we were dead in our sin and we were dead in our trespasses and yet you intervened on our behalf, sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. And so, God, as we walk into this new year, as we are looking for our purpose in, in the year of 2024, God, may we look to you to find that. God, knowing that you are the one who offers fulfillment, God, that you are the one who offers satisfaction. God, that you are the one who offers purpose. And we can't find anything in this world that can do that for us. So thank you for who you are and what you've done. And pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's stand. We're going to sing this hymn, Be Thou My